Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So today we're going to speak and um, just sit together with uh, ethics. The topic is ethics. And... Um, and it's wonderful this this weekend. I didn't really see it coming, but um, I've been surrounded by ethics. I was able to go to, I had a Buddhist chaplaincy training um, with Gil Francel on Friday. And I showed up an all day. We talked about ethics. And then um, we had a beautiful, I see our group is a little lighter today, because I think um, many people went to the Art is Meditation all day retreat yesterday. Uh, which was really phenomenal, and it was based around the six perfections, which is all about ethics, and we painted ethics. <laughs> we painted patience and generosity and whatnot, and, um, and then we're talking about it again here today, so it's really wonderful. It's funny, when I lived at the uh, Tibetan Buddhist centers, um, we would never put <coughs> ethics as a topic of a retreat because no one would show up. <laughs> and the lamas just wanted to talk about ethics. They would just all, for months, they'd come and do, and that's all they would want to talk about. But if we put that as the title, like, come and learn patience, people, ah, I don't want to go there. <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> So we'd have to put, like, uh, you know, this awesome technique or something as the on the flyer. But when the lamas came, it didn't matter. They would just, they would talk about ethics for the majority of the retreat. And, of course, they would teach that too. But it would always come at the end because without the ethics, there would be no foundation for the practice. This is very preliminary, you know, like when we talk about the stability of the mind, where the mind cannot be stable without ethics. There's no way you could argue all day and whatnot and then go and have a great meditation after a, a nice argument, you know. So it's very foundational, but it's also the end of the path, yeah? This is what we're, we're attempting to achieve, the, the, the uh, stability of mind, but also this inner... Um, quietude that allows a spaciousness to act um, in a way that's beneficial for our long-term happiness. Short-term, sometimes we can get away with getting this off our chest, like yelling in the moment. It's like, oh, we just feel good in that moment getting it off our chest. But that actually doesn't, doesn't lead to sustainable happiness. Afterward, we don't feel good. So, what can we do to get to this, this spaciousness where it arises naturally? And so I think the first, the first piece to explore is, uh, what, what is it? What do we, when we talk about ethics, when I say the word ethics, and you could just like popcorn style out, um, throw out some words, like what do we mean by that? I think about the five precepts. The five precepts we're talking about: no stealing, killing, sexual misconduct, lying. Those things, yeah. <laughs> what else? Respect. Respect. 
right action. Doing the right thing, you know. <clears throat> Generosity. Doing the right thing, even when no one's watching. Yeah, doing the right thing, even when nobody's watching. Moral hmm. compass. A moral compass. Code of conduct. A code of conduct. Ahimsa. Ahimsa. No harming. No harming. Mm hmm. And to look at, so these are the things that we kind of are, are um, conceptual, these things. And then to look at what is it within us, this, this inner ethics. So when we, um, you know, we see this happening in our daily lives, like, um, for example, like, Maybe all had this experience when I turned on the shower. Sometimes there's a spider like in the shower, but I didn't know it, so I turned on the water. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, no, there's a, there's a spider. He's like getting wet or something. And so I turn off the water, you know, take him outside or do whatever I need to do. Or, you know, I was driving the other day, and there was an elderly man, and he was crossing the street, and he, he tripped. He was, he was crossing the street, and when he got to the curb, he didn't lift his, his foot high enough, and he tripped, and he fell. And so many people came to his service, like immediately. Like someone pulled over immediately. Someone from the parking lot started running to him. You know, they, they didn't know him. It was just a stranger who fell. So like, what is that? Like, what is, what is that? Like, why do we do that? What's that? Compassion. Yeah, compassion. It's interesting to look at this, like, in a non-conceptual way, the out of organic dynamic way, you know, that this is just arising within us. It's already, it's already here. So sometimes we think of ethics as, like, a code of conduct. Yet spontaneously, naturally arising, it's already, it's here. We see it in ourselves. We act upon that. We see this, uh, an, an instance is arising. And we act. And, and one thing that we do naturally, but through more care and more mindfulness, we can maybe do more skillfully, is that ethics is different in each situation and in each space. What I mean by that is take this space. There's like a certain um, code of conduct here. Even, even if we don't know it, we, we walk in, we're in a healing space, right? And if you're here for the first time, you kind of vibe it out, you know? you kind of like, what's appropriate here, <laughs> Right? So if you take, well, any of us, we take like, there's like a, a restaurant code of ethics, you know? There's things that are appropriate in a restaurant, in a hospital. You know, so we have children in an, in, at home, maybe they're really rambunctious or whatnot, but when they're in a restaurant, the parents are like, we're in a restaurant. <laughs> Quiet down. It's not appropriate here, right? 
So, you know, part of this is um, the mindfulness that we bring into each each situation and with each individual. If you go over to, you know, have dinner at somebody's home, you're trying to get a feel for their family dynamic and their you know, ethics that is appropriate for them. And that takes more mindfulness and care to know what's appropriate for each dynamic situation. And so, you know, for that to happen, a, a lot of this is, um, where is our awareness? Because we can see that it's, it's within us. So there's one piece of it is, um, what exactly is holding us back from accessing that compassion, that compassionate care, that dynamic compassionate care? Let's say when we lose sight of it, what is stopping us from, um, from accessing it? And I don't really know, I think it's multi-layered, you know, layered. It's the basic, basic ignorance, you know, because when we, ignorance of interconnectedness, to be clear. Because like when we, when that happens, let's say that elderly man fell and people rushed to him, there's a sen- sense of interconnectedness in that they were connected to him. On what level? On what level did they connect with him? You know, they connect in this compassionate way that, that there's an understanding that we're in this together and that we're all trying to be happy more and suffer less. And there was something about it where they didn't want to see him suffer. And it meant something to them. It was important that he didn't suffer. And as this, this Bodhisattva vow that may I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings is this recognition that I'm not free until everyone is free. How could I be free, truly free, if others are suffering? There's no truth in that. There's no truth that there's a singular um, enlightenment, right? Because we can't truly be free. And there's this recognition about this in a very subtle way. So when we lose sight of that interconnectedness, and so I put like just a you know, term on top of it, which is this selfishness and we become self-absorbed and we're only doing things for the benefit of ourselves we lose this this innate sense of interconnectedness and therefore and I see this within myself if I ask myself this question what keeps what is this barrier that keeps me from accessing right conduct at any given moment and I could see within myself is when I'm being selfish when I'm being selfish. And so this could take um, a lot of awareness and, pra- and practice. And we have two types of awareness. You know, the normal relative level awareness is all out, outward. Most of our awareness goes out. So there's inner and outer awareness. Rarely do we access inner awareness. This inner awareness is where this interconnectedness lies. This is the state of beingness where this interconnectedness lies. 
Because when we're talking about this level of awareness, even our thoughts, emotions, and body sensations are considered outside awareness, looking out. As Ergen Rinpoche used to say, the only difference between enlightenment and non-enlightenment is the direction that you're looking. You're looking this way, you're in samsara. You're looking that way, you're in nirvana. It was that simple. So inner or outer awareness. So outer awareness, we could hear sound. There's a plane going by. Inner awareness is where are you hearing the sound? Inner, aware, inner awareness is knowing that there is a knower and what is known. So what is known, we're usually really attached to what is known. Very rarely do we spend time hanging out with the knower of what is known. And this is a, and a very, very important piece. Because this, this state of being, this non-conceptual state, and again, I'll just go back to that example, elderly man fall. There was no, it wasn't a decision. These people just ran. It was not conceptual. It wasn't like, oh, you know what? You know, I'll post it on Facebook later that I helped this guy out that fell, you know, like, or it, it wasn't, it would just happened. This is important to note that all of this is what we're doing in spiritual practice. It's a subtraction problem. It's not an addition problem. We're not cultivating anything. We are remembering who and what we are by letting go of what we're not. We're letting go of what we're not and arriving into what we are. We're letting go of what we're not. What are we not? Thoughts, beliefs, and body sensations. These things that we think we are, our belief systems, our concepts, our sense of a unchanging permanent self, you know. So if, if we're trying to overthink ethics, it's not going to be very dynamic. It's not going to happen. It has to be the spontaneous beingness through inner awareness. So they say like in emptiness, compassion arises naturally, uncultivated. It's there waiting, just like awareness is there waiting. Where is your awareness? You need to cultivate awareness. No, awareness is just waiting. We just forget. But when we come back, awareness is always there waiting, hanging out. Oh, where you been? <laughs> lost in thought or lost in concept. It's same thing with love and compassion. Love and compassion is spontaneously arising from this space, uncultivated, naturally arising. But we're not marinating in it for very long until we grab another thought, another concept. So, you know, what is ethics? So moving from what is ethics to how do we access it? And on a relative level, of course, like there's always this paradox, right? On a relative level, we need to cultivate until we realize that this is who and what we are, right? So this is like the meta practice, practicing loving kindness, um, practicing compassion until it becomes... Um, second nature, if you will. 
So accessing, how do we access it? Through awareness. So how do we sustain awareness? Practice. <laughs> so this gets us into our practice, right? The practice is booing up, strengthening our ethics. Our ethics are, are booing, uh, <laughs> is strengthening our practice, vice versa, yeah? We need them both. So when we move into our practice, um, we have all the hindrances, like we have laziness, yeah? How many of you are lazy, like me? I'm lazy. Yeah? When it comes to our practice, how many of you experience laziness when it comes to your practice? Like sitting meditation. Yeah? We're all lazy. I'm lazy. I don't know about all of you. All, all of you are Buddhas. I'm lazy. Because <laughs> I have definitely been, you know, very often, it would be like, I'll practice tomorrow, you know. Um, I'll practice in a little while, later today. Or I'll go to a teaching. One of my favorite ones that I did was when I was living at Atlanta Medicine Buddhas in Santa Cruz. And this amazing, amazing teacher. He, he was just speaking. He just came from Tibet. His name was Anam Tukten. And he had just come over. He was very new. And my friend came and he said, you know, there's an amazing lama. He's um, right over the hill from Santa Cruz, about an hour and a half away. We've been going to see him on the weekends. He's still really small, like no one really knows about him. And we're just like in his backyard and it's like phenomenal. And I was living at a, at a Buddha center. So we would have amazing teachers come all the time. And this was like an hour and a half drive. So I was very lazy. And I, and I didn't see him. And I don't know if you know who Anam Tupton is. He is absolutely phenomenal and he's like this international teacher now and it's amazing books and Trudy from Inside LA goes and teaches with them in Europe and if you walk into Inside LA it's a picture of Anam Tupton and Trudy if you if you look on the on the counter when you walk into Santa Monica Inside LA it took me seven years to see Anam Tupton after that because I was lazy so it comes full circle, you know, this, this diligence and this discipline, which is part of the six perfections, you know. Diligence, patience, discipline leads to meditative concentration, which leads to wisdom. Which leads to the wisdom, the insight, the vipassana. Wisdom leads to insight which leads to the insight of interdependence, which leads to spontaneous compassion arising. So this is, this is when, when, we, when we talk about these things, we have to talk about them within the system. Like, this is so much of what's happening now is that there's certain parts of the systems that are plucked out. Mindfulness. Last time I Googled mindfulness on Amazon, 23,000 books have mindfulness in it. If you Google patience, like two books or something. <laughs> See, it's important 
that we know the whole entire full structure and system that these things were, were taught within. Because if we don't, is mindfulness fantastic in and of itself? Absolutely. Is it sustainable? Is it, is it, can you realize anything without, without the, um, the other attributes, other characteristics of your practice, the other pieces? No, not really. Is, is mindfulness even, um, is it doable or is it sustainable without ethics? No. Hell no. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not even mindfulness. It's that relative attention, like the attention of, like, I hear a sound. That's not mindfulness. That's paying attention. Paying attention to the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally, with a flavor of kindness. This is mindfulness. A thief pays unbelievable attention. A thief is not practicing mindfulness. There's a huge difference. He's not practicing non-judgmental compassionate awareness. So all of these things have to mesh together, right? When we look at our practice, a lot of times when we say practice, how's your practice going? We think, oh, how's our sitting going? So it's important to, to take time. And sometimes it's fantastic to take like a week or a month or three months or a year and practice a virtue, you know? Sometimes it's common in you know, longer practitioners to take a year and just focus on right speech, for example. I was just talking with a Zen teacher who took a year, and there's a group of them, and they said, we're going to practice right speech for a year. There's a, a story I've told before, it's kind of funny, of these two, these two lamas, or, or two monks, were sitting there, and there was a, a really volatile monk, and there was this, um, this monk that was always super mellow, you know. And this really volatile monk was trying to, um, was kind of instigating this kind of more mellow monk. And, and the, the volatile monk hit him on the head with a stick. He just like hit him on the head. And the other monk just looked at him. He says, thank you. Thank you. I'm practicing patience right now. And you're giving me an opportunity to practice patience. <laughs> and of course, it's, somebody, it's not to say you let somebody hit you on your head. But, but the, the moral of the story, it was that, see, he was practicing patience. It was something that absorbed in his awareness, and he was focused on it. And every opportunity that came to him, he's like, oh, you know, patience. You know, stuck in traffic, 405, whatever, patience. Somebody's not you know, um, not being so skillful, skillful at work, patience, you know, practicing it. How's your practice going? Well, what piece of my practice? Your sitting can be going well, but maybe you've been very angry or something. Like you're sitting, but you're actually not cultivating the other pieces, so your sitting practice isn't going that well. See, so we have to look at the whole, the whole thing and give each one it's due attention, right? Mindfulness and concentration are only, you know, two of the Eightfold Path. Yeah. And everything's in the support of it. 
I always remind myself of this. They said the Buddha taught 84,000 teachings, which I don't know how they got that number counted or whatnot, but let's just say he counted, he taught for a long, long time and taught a lot of teachings. But he only taught one thing, which was non-grasping mind. That's it. 84,000 teachings supported only one thing, non-grasping mind. But it's important to note that it took 84,000 teachings to support that one thing of non-grasping mind. So this is important to note and use our own wisdom to see what am I lacking? What do I need to focus on? Maybe I do need to take a week and practice right speech. You know? Let's see what we're doing on time. Um, I'll spend a few uh, a few moments. Uh, sorry, a few minutes. I'm gonna do a little writing assignment. If you guys don't mind um, handing out some paper, and I'm gonna hand out pens. Okay. So what we're gonna look at? This is very general. There's a reason for that, but the instruction is five things. Five things you know and you live by. Five things you know and you live by. And the second piece is, and where did you, did you learn them? Five things you know and or live by. And where did you learn them? So, I was struck <coughs> first by how hard it was. Just trying to find things I know. And so it took a while. And I was sort of surprised that the one that came last was the one that should have been first in my life. Which is, uh, <laughs> human existence is difficult and painful. You know? mm. Something I know, you know, what the Dharma teaches, it's also something I know from living as a human. Day in and day out. Mm -hmm. so, um, I won't share all five, but uh, you know, I, I do truly have become both because it's what's taught through the Dharma, and you know, at my best, I've experienced it, which is that love and compassion are our true nature. So, love and compassion are our true nature. Yeah. Not often enough, and certainly not as often as I would like. But there are times when that has shown through. Yes. And I've seen it both, uh, you know, reflecting others' love towards me in difficult times, and then at the times that I've been able to reach, you know, my son, my wife, or you know, someone, or mm -hmm. a stranger, you know, just, you know, <laughs> the homeless person, or apparently homeless, saying in front of there asking me for money, and I said, no, I'm not going to give you any money, but if I can get you something, you know. Yeah. yeah, I'd like bacon. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, right. I walked in, bought a pack of bacon, and she walked home. So, you know, that's a yeah. bizarre little thing. But, yeah, yeah. You know, those moments, of, you know. Uh huh. You know, I didn't want to just give you something that, you know, but. Yeah. So, and the final thing is that this is this is not the one thing that I didn't feel like I'm cheating because I'm not just reciting one of the, you know, four noble truths, but. It's better to act from a place of love than fear. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. 
acting from fear, bad thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. you know never do the right thing if you're, you're, if you're trying to avoid something or you're afraid. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're acting from love, even difficult things can work out okay. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I was, I was struck by um, the simple prompt you gave us. And it reminded me that simple is not easy. <laughs> and it's, this, this is very true it was, uh, mm-hmm. for me. I mean, especially, where did you learn this stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, who, 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 to know. <laughs> I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But that, this, this is a very thoughtful book. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Um, oh, yeah, Dan, sorry. I, I'd, I'd say that what came up for me was, um, you know, when I try to think about like where I learned these principles that I wrote down here uh, that I live by, I don't recall at all where I initially heard them or, or what compounded it. But really, it's only through practicing the principles and seeing the, the fruits of that practice. I mean, that's where you, that's where I've learned. Mm. You know, it's seeing it work again and again and again, mm-hmm. and honesty. Right. Just admit, you know, mm-hmm. be honest, and uh, and doors open. I walk through enough of them, and finally, just Mhm. Thank you. Yeah. Kate. Yeah. Um. I was gonna say that. Uh, in terms of where the things come from, after I sort of enumerated five things, it felt like they were each supported by a whole structure yeah. of, like, mm-hmm. my parents may have said them first or maybe not, but um, it also came from the culture that I was raised in. Maybe teachers also said it. So there's a bunch of supports from other people telling it to me. And then there's the supports of, you know, my experience and having it work. I, I imagine that this list could be, you know, if you ask me, you know, tell me a million things people have told you to live by or you've heard that you should live by. Mm-hmm. That this would be, there'd be a huge list, <clears throat> but it's the things that got sort of like infrastructure underneath them that stay with, with me and the rest have sort of fallen away as like not as useful, not as relevant. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's what, because when I had to enumerate, like none of these things came from one place. Everything has multiple ex- explanations. Um, and it kind of made me think a lot about sort of like causes and conditions. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like a lot of things are coming together to support these these principles. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, Jane. Yeah, I, I like this about where did it come from. And for me, you know, it's really experience. I mean, it's trial and error. You know, mm-hmm. you live long enough, you experience <laughs> enough, and hey, you know, right. some yeah. things, you get it. You get it here. Mm-hmm. And that's, all these others shape it, I know, but really, and that's, where I think the Dharma comes in because it teaches you that it's the truth of your experience. Mm-hmm. Not what other people say it should be, right. but just the fact of living it, you know, and getting kicked and getting rewarded <laughs> and finding that some things like fear don't work and love does work. I mean, it's, it, you know, it doesn't mean anything unless you've experienced in your own mm-hmm. gut. And I think. By and large, it was just, you know, hanging out in this world. Mm-hmm. I think that's Thank interesting, you. too, because I think for somebody like me, 
it's like you were told one thing growing up and then like everything that I feel that I've learned it came contrary to what I was told mm. you know as opposed to that being the bottom infrastructure of what I now <laughs> form as my life view it's almost in opposition to it and maybe we're just seeing the same thing from a different angle mm. but I had to you know kind of like you said carve my own path and live it through my own experience before I could arrive to a conclusion about it mm. yeah. thank you one of the examples we were talking about, and it's directly what you had just said, was like we've been told that life is a competition and we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. And now one of the things I try to live by is that not to compare my life to others and mm -hmm. not to live in this competitive mode. But it's indirect, like it's opposite from what we've been told our whole lives, from school, from parents, from church, from, you know, from all different angles. So, mm. Thank you. Yeah, so this exercise is, is just a simple exercise in awareness. It's a simple <coughs> exercise in, in two things. Like, do we know, like, our, how, what the rules that we, the, like, what we live by? Do we even know? Are we, are we aware of um, what, what, what do we stand for? What do we live by? What do we come upon in the times of challenges and of stress? And what do we come back home to? So it's good to know. It's, it's good to, to revisit these. You know, it's good to revisit these every so often to say, yeah, what is it? What is it? What do I come back home to? What do I live by? Um, and it's also awareness practice on where do those sources come from. Some of the sources might be external. They might be from the teachings or a teacher or something that you might want to say, yeah, you know what, I got quite a bit from this something. I might want to stay connected with that something. right? But I think it's interesting as I've done this practice more than once is that What's interesting is to see how much comes from, we could say, life or experience. But it's, it's quite interesting on how much comes from ourselves experientially, like the sticking. Like what sticks is what we're learning from our own life experience. So it comes really like from us. You know, why are we going through, what, why are we um, living by these? Because it's resonating with us. And this is, um, this is true dharma, right? Dharma is never the teaching. Never the teaching. There's no book, no teacher, no teaching ever could teach you anything. They can only point to your own experience. Now, you experiencing the teaching is the teaching. And that's the only thing that'll stick. That's the only thing. So... And it points back to this awareness piece. Where are we putting our awareness? Remember, never put your awareness. Your true awareness is not in anything outside of ourselves, right? The true awareness is always on Buddha nature. Yeah? And this goes even for the teachings. It's not. The teachings are never out there. Only inside. Yeah? Only pointing. Um... So before we finish, uh, thank you very much for that practice. That was wonderful and wonderful shares. Um, thank you very much.
You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.